I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. This podcast is based in conversations that are willing to go off on a rabbit trail or two in order to find those aha moments. Those times when someone is able to say something in a way that brings increased clarity. Now, I'm an educator, so much of our conversations will have that as the end goal. How can the things that we are talking about help us to dive deeper into educational practices? Thanks for tuning in. Our guests are Stephen W. Anderson and Shaylin Farnsworth. Stephen and Shaylin are guiding the ship at Web 2.0 Classroom. Stephen directs the technology integration and Shaylin spearheads literacy development. And they work together to provide effective training for a multitude of topics that go beyond technology and literacy. They are frequent contributors, speakers, presenters, and helpers of the educational community. Stephen, Shaylin, thanks so much for joining. How are you both doing? Thanks. Thanks so much for having us. Hi, Matt. Thanks for having us join your podcast. We're pumped. I'm pumped to have you. It's, this is great to be able to have this conversation. And it's difficult to capture everything in an introduction. And I just want to give you a moment to share what you've been up to these days and give the listeners some better insight into your work. So, Stephen, why don't you start? You know, I've had some unique opportunities to talk to um, school leaders and school districts about what the uh, what learning might look like in the fall. Um, I like to I spend a lot of time talking about school to home communications. And so how can schools better communicate with their uh, with their parents and with their communities? So it's it's been quite busy, but it's been it's it's good work. It's it's really trying to help uh, school. In my case, school leaders understand you know what distance learning or what remote learning or what emergency learning in this situation really means and how they can do it most effectively, so that when students come back to the classroom face to face with a teacher, it can be a smooth transition. Shaylin, what about you? Well, um, to kind of piggyback everything that Stephen just said, we have been busy not only working with um, groups of educators and districts, also some company um, promotions for transformation framework, supporting, you know, synchronous, asynchronous learning, blended environments. Um, But I've recently taken a new job, so I'm excited to share. Um, I'm the new national director for um, the News Literacy Project. It's a nonprofit um, <clears throat> group that works with with educators and also the public to help students hone skills in determining fact from fiction. And so uh, Stephen is, of course, one of my largest supporters um, in this new endeavor. And, uh, you know, it just kind of uh, blends all of the things that we've done together. But 
yeah, we, we focus a lot on not only literacy, but meaningful technology integration, leadership. Stephen does a lot with, I do a lot with systemic change and implementation. So a variety of things, you know, we're both veteran educators. I've been in 20 plus years. Stephen has almost 20 because he is younger than I am. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. And, uh, and so we just do a variety of things. You know, I'm excited for you for the new job. Congratulations. Uh, tell you. us a little bit more about what you'll be doing. So I am working to advocate um, awareness and usage of uh, Checkology. It's it's our online platform that has lessons um, on it currently. Everything from you know helping kids determine bias to stuff for the election. Um, we're creating one right now around conspiracy theories, mm. um, and it basically just supports students in understanding relevant, uh, reliable information and so that they can be, you know, informed consumers of content, but also active members of, you know, civic lives in a democracy. So I'm extremely excited about it. It's all free. Um, that's why I don't feel bad promoting it because, you know, everyone needs that in their, in their education, right? Especially in today's uh, current climate. I know Stephen just did a webinar today about that. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm excited. I'm going to be working with schools and, and districts and educators, kind of getting that word out and supporting them, um, you know, in-house uh, virtually for the time being because of the pandemic, um, hmm. uh, helping hone those skills for, for students. So I'm pumped. I'm uh, It's something I'm passionate about. I have been talking about it for a very long time. Did it ignite? When was that, Stephen? Two years ago? Three? Yeah, two years ago. Two years ago, did an, an ignite at ISTE around, um, you know, information literacy. So I'm just, uh, you know, excited about that endeavor. Yeah, we'll have to, uh, we'll, have to we'll have to link it in the show notes. So if you're listening, check this out. Uh, you know, check out the new work that will be going on. Um, before we do get too far into this conversation, it would be great to know how you two got connected within Web 2.0 <laughs> Classroom. Um, maybe you could tell us the backstory a bit. So our, we, we have a friend, uh, Beth Still, who lives in very rural Nebraska. And uh, about six years ago, seven years ago, she wanted to do a, uh, a conference at her in, for, her, for the teachers in her region that, uh, that pulled in, you know, that, that brought in folks from, from other parts of the country to help the teachers understand technology and just and do something special for the teachers because it is very rural out there and it's it's not a place that you would typically see you know a conference like that so um, Beth and I have been friends for a very long time um, going back you know several years um, to early ISTE days and um, and so she asked me if I would fly across the country drive across, drive from Denver to little tiny town Scotts Bluff <laughs> New, um, Nebraska to to do this conference. Um, and what I didn't know when I got there was that she had also invited Shaylin and I had, I, Shaylin and I had had some connections through Twitter and I had done a, a Twitter chat for her, for some of her Iowa folks before, but it was the first time that we met face to face and, um, we heard each other speak and we just kept in touch from there on and, and got some ideas about, Hey, would, you know, you talk about this and I talk about this. It would be great if we put those, those things together. Uh, and we uh, we eventually started doing we did some some webinars together. We did some 
um, some uh, larger conferences together and really found uh, uh, really found a, a really unique way that we can present with each other. Mm. That's really it brings together our both of our wide bodies of experience, but also our just fun nature that we have with each other to um, to to present together. And so from there, it's kind of grown into having you know many opportunities to do that you know all over the country together. One thing that jumped out to me, um, you know, and getting to know your work a little bit better and preparing for our conversation was how both of your works do connect so nicely with the humanities and the technology and coming together to provide such a richer uh, development experience for for teachers and other people that you're that you're training. So, Stephen, you started uh, Web 2.0 Classroom. Uh, what made you aware uh, that, yes, I need to start this. This this has to be done. Yeah. At the time when I was doing that, I was doing, I, I was in charge of a technology program for a very, very rural district in North Carolina um, where I'm from. And there was, it, you know, it might take me to go from one side of the district to the other, 45 minutes around mountain windy roads. And I really had, I've been reading a lot about the use of social media tools and especially blogging to, um, to reach wide, to reach a wider audience. And so at the time I create, I, I created the, you know, blogging about the web 2.0 connected classroom as a blog for the teachers in my district as a way for us, for me to be able to share things easily with them. I, it would, I could, you know, put it, I could put out a tweet, Hey, here's a blog post. And, uh, and, uh, so they could consume that without us having to, you know, constantly get together or, you know, those are the days before even, you know, ver you know, video conferencing was even popular in schools. And, uh, it, what I, what I started to find was that I, yeah, I was putting it out on Twitter, but, um, other people from outside the district were were really were, were consuming it, and I was getting hits on my blog from all over. I was getting retweets from other places, and that was really when when edu this you know notion of edu Twitter was really in its infancy, and um, and it just kind of blossomed from there. And it really was when um, when I you know co-created or created the hashtag EdChat that it really took off from there, and it's hmm. it's just been an opportunity for me. Um, and, and now Shaylin and I together to share the things that we love, our passions about learning and, and helping, uh, helping educators, you know, uh, discover who they are uh, as, as, a, as a leader in their classroom, but also as a learner, um, but also for us to learn from, from everyone else as well. You know, I just want to point out, I think there's something, and thanks for sharing that story. I think there's something we can learn from that story, right? Something jumped out at me as you as you were sharing. It was a lot of the work started in your current community where you were at, right? There was a need in your district where you were working. So you created that blog and it and it grew. And a lot of times, and I can be guilty of this as well, you know, we want to create this huge change or this huge uh, company or this huge industry or this huge movement. And a lot of times it starts where we're at. So for our listeners, you know, it, it might be a blog, it may be something else, but it it, it might be super helpful to start where you're at and and see it grow forward. So thanks for sharing that. You guys have been doing, as you've already said, you've been doing a ton of work to help with remote learning uh, since this shift has taken place. So I'm thinking about shaking things up a bit. Uh, we're going to role play. So I'm going to assign each of you a different group to give a pep talk to. So you can help provide some much needed renewed Focus with this distance learning shift. Steven, uh, I'm going to have you go first. Okay. You're in a room. 
you're talking to some administrators. What would you say? So the first thing I would say is I don't wish I I would want to be the these administrators at all. This mm. this time right now is so challenging. Um, seeing administrators grapple with the trying to come up with different plans, but also trying to keep the health and safety of their students and their staff in mind is really has really put a, a lot of pressure on on all of our administrators. My one of my one of my good friends is an elementary principal and and, and talking to her over the last couple of weeks, like she's genuinely scared. And so I, I understand that I have two children of my own. But what we have to remember is that this is not permanent. This is not something that, it, while it may feel like it, it, it's going to go on forever, it's not going to go on forever. We are going to come out of this on the other side stronger. And all of these things that we're doing, all of these plans that we're putting in place, and all of these considerations we're making for teaching students remotely, and the conversations that we're having about equity and access, and all of those things will lead to a positive change as long as we stick to it. You know, the, 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 there's, a, there's a lot of backlash around, you know, keeping kids at home, but ultimately we know that's where they're going to be safe and we know that's where our staff is going to be safe, but it forces us to consider the problems, the systemic problems that we've had in education, like equity and like access and like uh, uh, standardized testing that is, that is you know, illogical and, and really serves no purpose for, for students or for, for teachers. All of these things that we wish we could change, now we have this golden opportunity as administrators to really reshape and revision what we want learning to be in our individual buildings and in our district. And now is the time to seize that. It doesn't mean we can we have to dismiss all of the other things that we have to think about with health and safety and, and all of that, but we can use it and seize it as an opportunity to push forward. Shaylin, it's your turn. You're in a room with a bunch of teachers. What would you say? All right. So I got this. Ready? I would give four uh, main pieces of advice. I would remind them that relationships are key. So whether it is face-to-face -face or it is virtual, getting to know our students, taking time to build those relationships, not only between um, you know student and teacher, but student to student is extremely important. Also during this time, there's a lot of social emotional learning and needs um, that need to be met. And so those relationships are key to let us know uh, how our students are doing. So number one is relationship. Number two is keep it simple. Don't feel like now is the time to dive into new technology products or have them clicking on all different types of link. Use your main you know, LMS or, or whatever you're using to communicate with kids and then add supplementals that make sense. So keep it simple. Um, number three is be consistent. It is important for kids um, to have a routine. Routines allow independence. They know what's coming next because of the routine and it allows for innovation. So have those routines set in place, whether it is a certain time that you meet every day or maybe it's Monday, Wednesday, Friday, whatever it may be, be consistent and uh, have those routines established, especially if you are pivoting between, you know, online or face-to-face -face or hybrid or synchronous, asynchronous, keeping those routines and consistency is key. And the last thing is, don't forget to take care of yourself. 
we live in, you know, uh, a, a challenging time. As my kids superintendent said here in my local community, this is probably the most challenging school year he has ever faced as a veteran superintendent. And I agree because I know his, his backstory. This is a very challenging time. So you need to take time for yourself. You need to uh, know when to disconnect. Uh, you don't have to be available 24-7. You need to uh, make sure that you stay connected to not only your family, your friends, your colleagues, but also things that bring you joy. So those would be my top four. Relationships are key. Keep it simple. Be consistent and take care of yourself. I want to piggyback off of uh, some of the things you mentioned and zero in on instruction within remote learning. Okay. So thinking about that, like focusing in a bit, teachers are becoming overwhelmed, right? And I think both of you can really be helpful in bringing some clarity to them in this overwhelming time. What do you think are some best methods that teachers should be utilizing when teaching virtually? Um, Shaylin, why don't you uh, start it off? For sure. And and Stephen and I actually dug into this and, and have written about it and shared things Mm. On our Web20 um, classroom, there's like some great infographics that your your listeners can download and stuff about best practices and video and time and all of that sort of thing. Um, so I think probably uh, if you look at best practices for online, they are definitely different than best practices during um, emergency or, or pandemic learning. Now, it is true that we've had some um, time during the summer to prepare, but again, that pivot from, uh, you know, uh, my kids are starting face-to-face, Stevens are starting all, all online. So that pivot is, is going to be there for all of us. Um, in this in this coming school year. So best practices, again, I think consistency is key. Um, another thing is it's great to have asynchronous and synchronous opportunities. All new learning should be taped. So it gives kids access if they cannot attend for whatever reason, because of equity, because of access, because of things at home, maybe they're sick, uh, whatever the case may be, but those things should be taped so that they can view and, and gain that learning um, when it's convenient for them. So um, uh, that would be the the first thing I would say. Now, Stephen, I know we dug into best practices in, in instructional videos. Do you remember some of those things? Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest takeaway was that, you know, you don't have to record or be online live for hours and hours and hours at a time for the learning to be effective. So, you know, I think about my my youngest who is going into second grade. She um, is not the kind of kid who wants to sit and watch a video for, you know, an hour. She doesn't even want to talk to her teacher for an hour. She, you know, she wants to be moving and doing it. And so, you know, when you in the younger grades, the younger grades video like that should be used live and should be used to check in on students in the middle grades it's more you know simple types of of live instruction perhaps maybe some recorded instruction but no more than 10 to 15 minutes obviously in the upper grades as kids get older they can handle they they have longer attention there may be more complex content that we're trying to cover so a little bit longer but the max time that we found through the research, and, and if you look at the most successful distance learning programs, they're going to say that most of the learning happens asynchronously, that they get together synchronously to talk about what they learn. They, mm-hmm. they provide a lot of choice in the what students are going to be, and the, the, a lot of choice in how students are going to be consuming that knowledge. 
and then a lot of opportunities for those students to work together with or without the teacher to uh, to digest that knowledge or to dig deeper um, mm -hmm. with that knowledge. So it's not it's not about spending hours and hours and hours on video and hours and hours and hours online. It's about providing high quality content in a meaningful way that students can easily consume. Yeah, so I think, you know, those instructional videos, like Stephen said, um, streamline, uh, I think, uh, 10 minutes, like six to 10 minutes is a sweet spot for recording in the instructional videos. Students prefer to see their teacher, even if you are a mess that day and your hair is in a bun and you are having uh, a busy morning and, and your kids are, are going crazy off the walls, they still prefer to see you rather than someone that they don't know off a YouTube video. So those things um, are specific to distance learning. Keep it short, uh, have a, a way that they can access it, curate it all in one spot, and make sure they see you, know it's custom tailored for them. They don't wanna watch a stranger on YouTube. And I'll also point, I'll also piggyback off that too, in that, you know, it's important that, you know, when we went to a, this emergency learning last year, two-thirds of the school year was already completed. So students mm -hmm. had been face-to-face -face with their teacher for a great deal of time, which allowed a lot of community building to happen, a lot of relationship building to happen. Now what we're doing is starting a school year where most, the vast majority of students are going to a into a new situation, new teacher, new classmates, and so by, by simply taking the easy way out and just finding a bunch of YouTube videos that have no, that, that, that aren't, that aren't the teacher, it doesn't do anything to help build those relationships. And so the kids need to have those opportunities to interact with their teacher, especially now more than ever, because mm -hmm. they're starting out remotely. We need to foster those, those relationships very early on. And that's ultimately going to make the transition back to the classroom that much easier. Yeah, I found your infographic uh, super helpful, right? Giving direction for the live instruction and then <laughs> the recorded lessons. I think everyone needs, I know you've already said this, but do not make a video longer than 10 minutes. Yeah. I've seen people <laughs> make like, 50 minute videos <laughs> and um, and that's nuts, okay? I, I don't mean uh, to make anyone feel bad that's listening. The way that I talk about it is, would you want to... Would you want to, to have your principal send you a 50 minute um, staff meeting that you had that he made you or she made you sit there and watch? No, you don't want to do that. So think about put yourself in the seat of the student. They don't want to sit there for 50 minutes and hear you drone on 10 minutes. Make it action packed. And again, you're not Steven Spielberg. It doesn't it's not <laughs> high production. You can do something very easily in that in that amount of time. Shaylin, I want to ask you a question about literacy and the humanities in, you know, in response to um, remote learning. Many teachers, well-intentioned, are assigning their students, OK, uh, read, but we can do better. We can do better to engage in literacy activities while we are remote. What can teachers do to engage in uh, in better literacy activities? Well, a couple of things, <clears throat> and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to all of the parents in your audience as well, um, because I I have just read some uh, some research, and I think it was uh, Tim Shanahan who just put this out. But what can parents do? Because everybody is worried, especially for those younger grades, those emerging readers and they have no literacy background, the number one thing that you can do is have your kids build up stamina and reading. And so having them read 30 minutes independently each day, 
But also on top of that, you need to have a conversation with them about what they read. Um, and so parents looking to to support kids in literacy, have them read consistently 30 minutes and build up that stamina. If they start with 10, you can build it up to 30 um, and have a conversation about what they're reading. And then finally, write about what they're reading. Now, this does not have to be um, back to back. This could be you read for a chunk of time. You go out, do your other activities. Maybe it's crafting. Maybe it's physical activity. And then you talk about it later and you write about it later. But those types of consistency will help build stronger readers. Um, it, it does much better to make sure it's consistent rather than saying, oh, we're going to read for two hours at the end of the week. No, try to mm. get 30 minutes of reading um, each day in there if you're a parent. Now, if you are a literacy instructor, there are lots of different things that you can do. Um, the first is you want to motivate students, um, and, and I'm talking for the upper grades here. There's a shift in in motivation that happens around fifth grade in literacy learning, and when fifth graders on up, they're motivated motivated by um, uh, things they're interested in, and how does this affect my future? And so when you keep that in mind, uh, and you give them free choice to read what they want to. Um, <clears throat> Uh, that increased motivation for reading. Now, you can have freedom within the rails, as Stephen and I talk about, or the big arrow theory. And so if you have a student who continually, continuously chooses graphic novels, it's okay once in a while to say, <laughs> why don't you choose something from a, a different genre, make a, you know, a, a genre board or, or whatnot. Um, but on top of that, small group instruction. Uh, elementary educators do a great job, especially in the area of literacy, assessing their students at the very beginning, knowing what they have mastered, what they're on the cusp of learning, and what they need to focus on. Same thing true will be for our middle school and high school teachers, especially if we're in this distance learning. So then my, my next uh, suggestion is to small group them. Uh, maybe your schedule, like my son's high school schedule is Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday is, is small group support, MTSS, all of those types of things, then you pull those students in uh, for support for that small group learning. So figure out what they are on the cusp of, of, of learning and uh, a small group. Know explicitly and, and clarify, as Hattie says, what your learning and teaching objective is and um, give kids choice because I'll tell you, kids will resist reading and writing if it's not something they care about. Shaylin, you've mentioned in some of your work a pandemic journal, and, and that seemed really engaging to me. Can you tell our listeners what that is? Yeah, for sure. I was talking with um, Stephen about this, and he said, you should write about this. <laughs> if you look at, uh, you know, throughout history, all major historical events, some of the most compelling information about the time has been shared by women, actually, and through journals. So think of the most famous one most of us have read, Anne Frank's journal. Um, and so there's lots of different examples throughout history when there are these major events and how information is gained about the daily lives of children, of you know, people of what's going on through journals. Um, and so we were talking about that. And, and I love journaling. I'm, I'm a big fan of journaling, not only to, you know, use as inspiration for further writing. I don't feel like everything you write has to take, 
you have to take to a publishable state, nor do you have to grade it. But I do think it is important for people to write. Now is a time that's extremely important to capture what's going on. Uh, you are, you know, capturing a piece of history. And so if you look at that blog post, and I'm sure you'll get in there, that's a picture of my daughter. And it was inspired by a photographer. And if you go in there, I get the link to the photographer. And his original piece was about what kids eat around the world. And so he has them surrounded by food. Well, what I've seen and, and what I write about in, in that blog post is surround the kids about what's important to them visually in an image during this pandemic. So you'll see my, my daughter has her instrument. She has her craft stuff. She has a book. She has her phone, of course. Uh, and, and that small thing be, can become an entry. Uh, you know, creating lists. Lists are great ways to add entries into a journal about what the heck's missing? If we think back to the very beginning, and Stephen and I were talking about this earlier in March, I mean, Stephen, what things were missing on the shelves of stores when we when we think back? Oh gosh, I mean, and and stuff that's still you know hard to come by. I mean, you and I were just talking about like disinfectant wipes today. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, people ran out to go get all kinds of paper products and things like that. But I mean, it just it just goes to show you that that, that that's why I love that pandemic journal is that mm-hmm. you know for our for kids it's going to be e- it's going to be easy to forget this time you know I, even my own even my own daughters you know they they you know it, once it's out of sight out of mind and it's just because they're inundated with so much information every day that it, you know that the the memories will just they'll fade and so having that that journal to look back upon about the own individual personal experiences that they had once you know, when, when Shaylin suggested, you know, when she had her daughter doing it, I have my kids doing it too, um, based on that suggestion. Because, you know, when they grow older, they're, you know, 20 years from now, even 10 years or even five years from now, who knows that they they might find this thing and look back and be like, it was really like that and jar those memories. And, you know, we see that a lot with these different types of projects to try and capture stories before, you know, voices are lost with, you know, World War II veterans or, um, or living history project. I wrote about, you know, doing living history. Now is a great time to do a living history project with students. Um, you know, it teaches them not only a lot about themselves, but about their family or their their neighbors or their communities. But, um, you know, there are also literacy skills that are built in there, interviewing skills and, and things like that. So this is a great opportunity to do that because now we have technology at our advantage, right? So we can, we don't need, mm-hmm. we can do, we can do all of this work, even physically distanced from each other using, you know, technology. That's a, that's a great example. And, and thanks for sharing that now. And also thanks, um, for writing a blog post about it so that people can check it out in greater depth. I think this has been super helpful with remote learning. You guys have sort of casted a big vision, but then you've also given some specifics that we all do need um, that we can sort of grasp onto and uh, try to figure things out. But I do want to dive a bit deeper. I want to think about the future of our classrooms. And by the future, I mean beyond this coming September, October, November, beyond next September, October, November, maybe a couple September, you know, October, (laughs) November's away. Um, I would really like to hear from the both of you. Um, What do you envision or hope for the future of education? Steven, you want to start? I'm going to actually start, Matthew. I'm going to start this one. Yep. Of course. Of course. That's right. That's right. I'm going to lead this one because then uh, I know Stephen will bring it up with a a perfect example. Um, (laughs) But if you look at uh, 
change theory and you look at the research and education, there is this interesting um, concept theory called apprenticeship by observation by Dan Lordy. And I know Stephen has heard me talk about this, and so he's probably chuckling in the back. I don't know if it's new to you, Matt, Um, but it basically says that without sustained support, you revert to back what is comfortable. So uh, right now, um, when we talk about this future vision, we talk about how we could reimagine education, we talk about blended learning, we talk about meaningful technology integration, the thing to remember without sustained support to those educators, they will revert back to what is comfortable and how they were actually taught. So let me give you an example. I had a brand new principal. He had a brand new building because there was a flood. So they re- had to rebuild the whole building. And he said, let's let's bust up education and let's create a whole new system. And so he put teachers in wings according to grades. And he said, you can do this however you want to. You can you can co-teach. You can have lectures, um, you know, on multi- on different days. You don't have to meet every period. You can uh, do PBL. You can do design thinking. And what he found after one week was they reverted back to 45-minute class period. And it's truly because of that apprenticeship of observation and what sort of systemic change and what change theory do we have supporting our educators. So although we have great ideas and although I'm sure Stephen will tell you fantastic ones and I have some hopes and dreams of my own, it's important to remember that you need that you know high-quality professional learning and sustained support to actually change behavior. Stephen? Yeah. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, the as we think about what learning is going to look like, you know, perhaps post-COVID, it's, it's timely. Shailen and I were on a panel this week where we, we talked about just this, just this thing. And what we kept coming back to was exactly what Shailen said, is that high-quality professional learning is ultimately what's going to change and drive instruction to be better. You know, and I see it just... I see it now with the proliferation of, of ed tech tools about how many ed tech tools there are and how many to choose from. And even Shailen said it herself, like just don't go clicking on things and, and introducing things. Now is not the time to do that. But we, I see a lot of things that, that are introduced that are of little value to the actual learning process, either because the, the tool itself doesn't provide any value or the teacher doesn't know how to implement it through high quality research-backed instruction. And when we, if we focus our attention more, and what I hope is we focus our attention more on what research actually tells us what works, because that research does exist. You know, there's, if anybody's familiar with the work of John Hattie, Invisible Learning, you know, there's a wide bodies of research that shows, you know, these are the things that work and these are the things that probably don't work. So let's focus on the ones that do. And, you know, and, and technology can certainly supplement and support those things. But, you know, thinking about the future and what it's going to look like, I, I, you know, I hope that we uh, that we we shift our thinking around what and where learning actually takes place. I love the story that she just told about, you know, about those students and uh, and, and rethinking and redesigning and having that opportunity. I mean, we have that now, just as we talked about before, we have this opportunity to re-envision what we want to do. People talk and you know, teach educators talk all the time about, I don't have time to do PBL. I don't have time to do design thinking. I don't have time. Now we, we have an opportunity where we have completely 
blown the system up and and really can drive and change what we want to do. You can do design thinking and PBL through distance, through through remote learning. Mm -hmm. you, it's totally possible. And mm -hmm. so if we do it now and we begin and we ease our way into it, that transition back to the classroom becomes that much easier. But let's not just rest on our laurels and say, well, this is just a temporary situation. And when students come back, things are going to be think we can just go back to normal where it was nice and comfortable. Schools are often places that are comfortable for adults rather than the children they serve. Mm -hmm. And so we need to we need to really seriously consider what does the classroom look like? What does the learning look like? What type of research are we introducing? What type of professional development is going to support that? And now is the perfect opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. And to, <clears throat> to piggyback on what Stephen was saying, as you can tell, we're huge um, advocates of, of PBL, design thinking, inquiry-based thinking, um, community-based learning is, is large here in Iowa. We have a lot of students in school Iowa that big. are Iowa big that are connected, um, you know, uh, to those to those different schools. So it, it's widely popular. It is possible. There are fantastic examples to learn from. Um, and that's funny that, you know, Iowa big, those are some of my favorites. I'm a big um, fan. Yes. Yes. Uh, but uh, now, like Stephen said, is, is a time that we can explore those things, but we also have to make sure, you know, that they are followed through um, that teachers in their learning is uh, continued to be placed priority and also that kids understand why they're doing what they're doing. So I think probably as a young teacher, the largest wake up call for me is when I had a fantastic unit and I asked them, why do you, why do you think we did this? Or why did we read this? And they say, because it's on the test, then it kind of, it kind of tugs at your heart. So understanding, you know, what you're doing, the purpose behind it, but also clarifying it and making sure it's crystal clear not only to you and your colleagues but also to students so they can understand that transfer effect that deep learning you guys have both uh, mentioned the importance of high quality professional learning what does that look like what does high quality professional learning look like what are some features so we know yes i'm doing high quality professional learning or uh no i'm actually not i think it goes back to you know a lot of the PD that that educators undertake is driven by some sort of ex, uh, some external need that the district has, rather than looking at the needs of the individual educator. And so, you know, people and and even me on this on this podcast have dogged standardized testing. But you know, there is there is an opportunity to utilize standardized testing to drive needs for professional learning if they were used in that way. So, you know, I was a science teacher. If I, if my kids took the, the science test at the end of the year and I saw that they were, that, that, you know, my students really struggled with things around, you know, concepts around biology, then if I knew that, then I could then go find PD that, that would help me be better in that. But even beyond that, it really comes down to letting teachers drive what, drive what they, based on their need and based on based on their their what it is that they need to to grow, but w the way that that's designed is it's rooted in research, and it's what we talk about is is pedagogy, and a lot of a lot of professional development is rooted in uh, is in rooted in pedagogy, which is what we do in the classroom. What it needs to be rooted in is andragogy, which is adult learning, and what adult learning tells us is adult learning theory tells us is that we have to honor what what adults come to us with what they already know. But we also have to give them opportunity and time to try 
and come back and reflect. And and so a lot of PD is this, hey, come in this session one hour and then go out and do this and I'm going to evaluate on it as an administrator and you better get it right the first time. And that's not really the way that adult learning theory works, but the 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 pedagogy that we that we learn through andragogy needs to be based and it needs to be research backed it needs to be looking at what does work and now keep in mind there's research around that tells us what does work but really it needs to be it needs to be through the lens of what works with our students where one population of students may really respond to direct instruction teaching methods, which are research proven to work very well, but, but, but direct instruction gets dogged all the time. Um, for another group of students, direct instruction may not be the most appropriate. And so we talk a lot about, uh, we talk a lot about formative assessment. And, and while formative assessment is often positioned to understand where students are in their learning, we need to reposition it to better understand where we are in our teaching. If we combine the research-backed instruction and being uh, being students of our students or being diagnosticians of our students, then we can go seek out and, and know, okay, professional development that's high quality, that's going to meet my needs, is that that, uh, that is backed in research, that gives me an opportunity to try, that is, that is sustainable and is long-term, um, and isn't kind of one of these, you know, let's bring in this speaker and have them speak and tell us everything is wonderful, and then that speaker leaves to go collect a check to go to the next mm -hmm. place. It's this long-term, sustainable, backed-in-research type of learning that is really difficult for schools to provide because just like it is in the classroom, we need to be doing differentiation. And to do that, that takes time. Yeah. And something that, you know, along with what exactly Stephen just said, <clears throat> throughout our careers, we've been blessed with the opportunities to learn and have some great training. And so, uh, you know, um, I feel like I am, you know, an expert in, in something called CBAM and Stephen is definitely knowledgeable in that and, you know, building his expertise, but I've had training in something called CBAM, which is, um, uh, the, the science behind implementation and change. And so how do you sustain change? Because that's the trick. Change is hard. Sustaining it is even more difficult. And so if you look at implementation science, according to education, there's a set of tools that you can use. And, and I really like the CBAM tools. And that's what Stephen and I use when we work with districts for sustaining that change. But, you know, it starts with uh, clarifying what ideal implementation is, having a reflective tool in the form of IC maps for all users of that initiative, um, and then setting goals and having that continuous professional development model. It definitely is, you know, a three to five year process. Um, but if you don't have the, the types of tools needed to, to measure implementation, you'll just be spinning your wheels. And so we both really, uh, like those tools um, from CBAM and, and use those quite frequently when we work with districts. Stephen, Shaylin, this has been a blast having this <laughs> conversation and it's been super helpful. You guys have taken us into the particulars as far as, okay, do a video for this long. And then we've sort of zoomed out and we've talked about change theory. And, and I think combining those two is so helpful. Um, having the practical, right? But then having the bigger picture as far as how can we bring about transformation within our school and how can it last? So we're getting to the end. Uh, but before we do, who do each of you want to give a shout out to? 
once again, I was going to let you go first, but I'll go. There you um, go. I'm trying to be, I'm trying to be polite. Um, yeah, so I, I would give a shout out to, to both my daughters because um, to Reagan and Chesney. Actually, my youngest Chesney has a birthday coming up here um, in, in two days. So um, uh, they always like to say that daddy is internet famous because they, they, can, hear, they can hear them on their mm -hmm. iPhone and can see videos. But those two are the most wonderful thing, uh, most wonderful people to me. So mm -hmm. my shout out would be to my daughters, Reagan and Chesney. Great. Aww. Of course, I want to give a shout out to my children as well. So Aiden and Grace, but also, um, you know, Stephen and I want to give a shout out to all educators returning back in the fall. It is a huge undertaking. It is probably one of the most challenging uh, years that we have all started, especially those first year teachers. And along with that, we have a lot of focus on the table. So not only do we have a pandemic, but a lot of uh, emphasis has been placed in social emotional learnings, uh, anti-racist and Black Lives Matter, um, literacy. So there are a lot of great educators doing so many phenomenal things that, you know, Stephen and I are in, in awe. And, and we just really want to give a shout out to everybody doing the work right now and, uh, you yeah, know, doing what's best for kids. It is time for the final word. What would each of you like to say to close out this podcast? So I'll, I'll, end, I'll end it with, with the three things that I, that I leave every session with. Um, one, make sure that you take time to reflect on your learning. So whether it's this learning here, you know, maybe uh, Shaylin obviously says amazing, wonderful things like about literacy you know, take time to reflect about those things and, and their impact and, and what that could mean for you. Two, make sure that you take time to push the boundaries of your learning. So um, maybe even if it's here or, you know, you see a tweet or you read a blog post and something piques your interest, expand and broaden your horizons. You know, the world isn't just one type of ed tech tool or one type of platform. There's lots of learning and lots of things that are happening everywhere and lots of brilliant people whose voices need to be amplified. Um, so expand the boundaries of your learning. And then the last one is to make sure that you share your learning. Somehow, some way, make sure you share with folks who you are not immediately connected to. So, you know, whether it's sending tweets or writing your own blogs or, you know, calling up the and sending out a link to your own personal Zoom room so that you can do some professional development for the teachers in your school. Um, you know, learning, learning is inherently personal, but it's also very social as well. Um, the, the things that we learn can be good, but if we want to make them great, we need to share them. It's fantastic. I, I always love those three things that he ends um, all of our sessions and all of our engagements with. Um, probably what I want to end uh, the podcast is with two things. Um, first, of course, uh, I do want to give a shout out because I'm so passionate about misinformation, disinformation. Um, it is spreading at a rapid rate in our digital age. Um, and just so be conscious of that um, because it's, it's easy not only to get sucked down the rabbit hole, but also to be you know, physically and, and mentally upset about things that you read. And so uh, keep that lens on. But also it is, you know, Matt, it is the golden age of podcasts. And so we definitely want to give a shout out to Diving Deep EDU and, and tell all your <laughs> listeners, make sure you like and subscribe um, yeah. to this podcast because it is the golden age and of podcasting. And, and Stephen and I talk about this actually at, at, at different conferences and in yeah, this is a great one. Stephen, Shaylin, what a pleasure. Thank you for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. I 
appreciate your time, sharing your experiences, and helping us think deeper about these important issues. To those listening, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Diving Deep EDU. Like Shaylin said, if you like this episode, subscribe, share it out, post a review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things will help get this podcast out to more people. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire.